podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Ethan, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this idea. We today we've we've only had a few before before we oh. sorry before we get in the idea. I've got an I've got an axe to grind with you that oh. I, I got to bring up here. Uh, oh, shoot, man. Calvin, and I apologize that you got to listen to this. Ethan and I fight all the time, and it's just you know it's part of the relationship. Ethan, Uh-oh. you brought up this uh, this service for finding unclaimed money a couple of weeks back, uh, oh, a couple episodes. Okay. I think it was it with Ryan Kuhn. Yeah, yeah, and and I uh, <laughs> I submitted that, and you're you know you're talking all about how much money you can save. Yeah, and, you know now I'm two grand in the hole as a result of <laughs> your unclaimed money <laughs> suggestion. So thank you very much for uh, for that. Well, I have to say that our our podcast producer Ari did do the same thing, and she did get money back. And well, maybe it's a wash for the run with a team overall. It's, then, it's a wash for the run with a team overall. But anyways, for anybody out there, I'm still confident in making this suggestion. You can find on every state in the United States, they have an unclaimed money website where you can go and you just search the database and it'll say, hey, you got like 100 bucks here or something from some utility company. You just put your info in and they send you a check. I mean, it's your money. Anyways. Or you send the state of Louisiana two grand for uh, <laughs> for some. Hey, it's not that... my fault that you had an outstanding two thousand dollars that you owed the state. And they just found out where you live. <laughs> exactly. So it goes both ways. Is the, the, and now all of a sudden you're. I guess so. I mean, I got a letter afterward. But they sell it as like unclaimed money, right? Like they don't sell it as like, hey, you check if you owe us money. I mean, that's what Ethan sold it to be like. <laughs> Chris is the first person that I've heard that it actually backfired like that. Honestly, I, I, I mean, I'm saying this, but I am grateful for it because it was uh, some tax revision. Uh, I had to update my federal tax and uh, they automatically send out the state and it didn't. You probably had some penalties that were accruing, right? Yeah. So then there's the penalties and all the late fees and yeah, I just paid it. So now that that <laughs> axe is, is, has been ground down, we've got Calvin Corelli here on the podcast. He is the founder of Simplero, multi-million dollar business that helps info educators and business owners to uh, create their platform, the website, everything associated with that. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the episode. But Ethan, you want to tell us a little bit about the idea that Calvin is bringing to us? Yeah, I'll just say, you know, he basically wants to help the homeless. And I know he lives in New York there, in Brooklyn area, especially where I used to live. And I can imagine like why, when, how he came up with this idea that he wants to create some sort of organization, nonprofit, for profit, whatever, around helping homeless people. I just know you see him, you know, on the subway, on the streets. It's it's, it's something that some people almost get uh, inured to in New York City. Is this where you came up with this idea? Was it got off the subway the other day and said, hey, uh, maybe I could help? Yeah. I mean, not not just New York, but also, you know, I was just in Austin last week. Um, I mean, places with with warmer climate tends to, you know, be a little more accommodating for, for homeless people. But yeah, all over, man. Uh, and I'm from Denmark. And there are actually some, the government does a fairly good job there of helping homeless people off the streets. I don't know, to be honest, the, the, the details of it, but it seems like, like the way that we're addressing it right now as a country here in the United States 
isn't working. And I'm a big believer that business is the best way to solve the big problems in the world. So yeah, it's it's a natural thing for me to be to be interested in something I've been interested in for years. Yeah, a couple of stats here I've found online. Uh, Wikipedia says there's 150 million homeless people worldwide. In the city of New York, there are 57,000, over 57,000 homeless people in the city, just the city of New York. Now, that city has 8.4 million people, so that amounts to a little bit less than 1% but they're concentrated in specific areas. And I, I, in the research, I saw there's a lot of you know, competition around, you, you get people coming into ho- homeless shelters in areas that they, they're not actually from. Um, so there's kind of some controversy around, you know, where should people be uh, taken care of, things like that. But it's definitely a problem. There's people trying to address it, but a lot more could be done. I think that it's useful to think about also the individual here because it, it's, um, as you said, Ethan, you get inured to it, right? And even when you walk by someone on the street, oftentimes you, you've you been trained to associate them with, you know, they're going to spend the money on alcohol or, or something or drugs and and there's something that they did to, to get in those positions. So turn away, don't treat them like a human being. There are tons of people out there who have become homeless, not out of... Uh, some sort of moral failing or because they made bad life choices. It, there are tons of Americans who are living paycheck to paycheck. And especially yeah, during a pandemic like this, it, it does not take much for someone to drop into homelessness. Also, I was surprised at how many actually school-age kids are homeless. I don't have the number offhand, but uh, that's really like picturing, picturing a kid, an eight-year-old having to panhandle for food and money it's it's uh heartbreaking yeah i saw a movie some years ago that also really inspired me about this um i think his name is neil donald walsh he's the author of a book called conversations with god are you guys familiar with him is the is the movie have the same name i forget what the movie's name is but it's basically his life story and what happens is that he ends up being homeless because of something right and it's like just this chain of events and like he, then he can't pay rent and then he's all of a sudden on the street and like he loses a job. And then the challenge, the difficulty of getting back into the labor force, right? Cause like if you don't have clean clothes and a shower and not shave, right. And you go into job interviews and it's a little like not, not the kind of thing that people are looking for necessarily. And then, so he, I think there's a moment where he actually managed to clean up and, and go to the job interview and then they discover that he's homeless. And then like, so, so it's like basically, you know, solving that problem, right? Giving people who actually, who want to get back to work, get back into normal life, giving them a path to do, to doing so. It, it seems to me like this would be a uh, government program The the government should do a better job of this. And for, for me, I don't tend to rely on the government to solve problems. I could see it be, it's obviously something that I think we could get donations for, right? That that could be run as a nonprofit. But also, I've just seen too many nonprofits who take the, and some people are going to be super offended by this, but the, who take the nonprofit part too seriously, right? <laughs> where, it's, where there's not that that accountability and that discipline about using resources efficiently. So I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer in business as a force for good. doesn't mean we can't take donations from other people, but let's see if we can't make it actually profitable, right? 
there is a very, very healthy discipline that comes from that. So let's not wait for the government to try to solve it when we can solve it ourselves. You know, I'm not an expert in nonprofit, but I've talked to some people who are deeply involved with nonprofits. There's a woman here in Chicago who used to work for Google. She's got a program called Brave Initiatives, helping young women get into technology. I, I learned an interesting thing from her. I, I think this is, you know, a true a true thing that's pretty consistent across nonprofits. Just to give the people out there a sense of how the things go down. If you raise money as a donation, there are limitations on it, on how you spend it within a non-for-profit. But if you have some sort of a product that you sell, then there's less limitations on what you can do with that money. So there, there's actually, as she told me, you know, people talk about, they think that if you run a non-profit, you have to be poor, right? Or that, that you, should, you should not be making money or you shouldn't pay yourself a good salary. And basically she said, she doesn't believe that that's true. And that you just have to limit, you can't just take donations in and make that your salary. But if you could do something productive where people are going to pay for it, then there's less limitation. You know, you can actually make an okay living if you have an interesting, like an interesting design to the way the organizations run. For this idea, we probably don't need to go in too much to the problem, the opportunity. People can look up the statistics out there. We'll link to, uh, there's a report that the U.S. government put out last year in September State of Homelessness in America. So you'll be able to read that 41 pages all about it. But let's get into the uh, how this would actually work because, of course, there are homeless shelters out there and uh, different services that exist. Um, I'm trying to picture, trying to do some research on why those systems don't work mm. right now. I think that'd be a good starting point to try and come up with an alternative I came across the figure that a homeless person costs a city $80,000 per year. So that's per year per person. And you can make a, a business case to house them and uh, provide some services to, and, and it would be at significantly less money than $80,000 a year. The median income in the United States is something like you know, $50,000 a year. So uh, right. it's kind of similar to the prison system where you're paying more for an outcome that is not better for that person. Right. I'm thinking of it more like not as a place that you go get housing and like it's cheaper than, or that. It's a it's a time-limited program where at the end of it, you're fully equipped to go out and get a, a decent job and enter the American middle class. That would be the goal, right? Like just be a fully functioning member of society. That would be the goal. I'm picturing something uh, closer to rehab as you're describing that. Yeah. I was going to get into some of the, uh, the business model that you brought up here, I think is pretty interesting. Charging a percentage of earnings after people graduate, like programming boot camps, that is a, uh, a very long view of how this could all work out. And of course, people at least have this perception, and it's probably true to some extent that the majority of people who enter a homeless shelter are not going to make it out the other right. end, and they're not going to get high-paying jobs that are going to right. provide some return on investment if you're taking some percentage of profits. So yeah. thinking through the math there, it doesn't seem like that would be enough to sustain a facility like this. No, but we don't need any one source of revenue to, to cover everything, right? And and I also think so. I I don't think it was this wouldn't be appropriate for everyone, right? Some people there's just 
it's too late. There's just too much stuff, too much trauma, too many years of drug use or whatever. Like it's for some people, it's just too late. Right. So, and they, so it's about finding the people that, that it would be applicable for, and that would be, we be able to, to help and yeah, rehabilitate and get out on the other side. Another example that comes to mind for, for me was I have a mentor, Dan Martell. He does a, a coaching program for SaaS companies called SaaS Academy. They were a member of that. He was, when he was a, a young man, he got, he was in trouble with police and drugs and all kinds of trouble. And I think he, he ended up like being stopped by the cops with a gun and like was big trouble. He ends up in, a, in an institution called Portage, which is, is kind of a rehabilitation institution for young kids like himself. And he's out now today, very, very successful entrepreneur and investor making millions and millions. And so he keeps, uh, I think he donates to this place, right? So we don't have to make money on every single one, but maybe some of these people that come out actually end up being very successful and become part of an alumni. Another thing that he does is for everyone who's at Portage, he's like, hey, if you stay sober for a year and then like you like you want to start a business, I'll be your mentor for free, right? People normally pay him $24,000 a year and up. And he's like, I'll mentor you for free. You have to stay clean. You have to do the work, but I'll do that, right? So so creating networks like that of people who actually made it through it or who can relate to it for some reason and they want to contribute to this, I think could be super powerful. Yeah, there's an interesting tension between this being a business and a philanthropy that I think make it a little bit hard for people to categorize in their mind. And that's not me just speculating. I listen to... Uh, an episode of uh, Gimlet's, I think it's it's their version of Shark Tank. I forget what the the pitch is the name of the the podcast. And someone on there brought up an idea, which I will share with you guys, for a um, an idea to solve homelessness. And one of the challenges that they got back from the panel was they didn't feel good about investing in uh, this company from their venture capital arm, but they also it was positioned as a for-profit business. So they also couldn't justify uh, donating the money to the organization. So that's something that I want to come back to. But I do want to talk a little bit more about this competitor. It exists in the marketplace right now in uh, Seattle, a company called Samaritan. And I'll just outline how it works here. They uh, have provided homeless people with beacons. And I think that these are RFID uh, type beacons. And people in Seattle can download the app, Samaritan. And as you walk by, if you're close to a homeless person, your phone gives you a notification and you can read the homeless person's background. It humanizes them. You hear how they got there. You hear uh, what they're looking for money for. Uh, and there's no cash involved. So when you, if you wanted to contribute to that person, then uh, they get that fund, they get those funds stored in a separate account, which is managed by a, um, uh, a licensed person who can uh, be responsible for that. They have to check in with that person at least once a month. They can use those funds for groceries and uh, medical expenses and maybe security deposits for, for rent. It's really interesting and, and comprehensive, uh, seemingly well thought out solution that's, that's out there. And that's also in the uh, for-profit space. But as I said, the challenge that they're running into is how do they position themselves to either get investors from a for-profit side or get donations? And they have not figured that out. 
the way I think of it is I saw a quote from, from John Mackey, the Whole Foods CEO. He's like, a business shouldn't exist f- to make a profit. A business is here to fulfill some kind of mission. And in the process of doing that, we need to make a profit just because that's how we are sustainable. But it's not the goal of the business to make a profit. So in the same way here, the goal of the business isn't to make a profit, although if we do, that's great, right? But the goal is to fulfill the mission and the, and the profit motivated is just what I found is, you know, and I mean, what we've all f- found, right, is that the profit motive is what incentivizes people to be innovative and be creative and be, be uh, conscious about how they use their resources be the, you know, it, it forces a cer- certain discipline. Like, this year I've just been a, through a, a situation where we wasted a lot of money because we just had too much money. <laughs> we had money to waste. If we didn't have that money to waste, we wouldn't have wasted all that money. Right. And so there's, there's a lot to be gained from having that constraint on the business. I feel like. I'm thinking of an example of another organization out there who is in this gray space of of uh, you're trying to get a return versus uh, you're making a pure donation. And it's a little closer to the donation side, but it's uh, Kiva. And you can – it's micro lending platform that uh, you can – donate some amount of money to as little as $25 and they will allocate it to someone who can uh, use it to build a business in, in whatever fashion they best see fit. Uh, and then 97% of the time you get that money back. But that is an, this example of it's it's in between the two spaces. Mm-hmm. So I still think that there's something there. There's some impediment to people either with their, I need to make money hat on or the, I need to do social good hat and if I were to try and help people out, it's like, oh, well, I, I would just donate that money as opposed to putting it in Kiva. I still feel strongly about the business, the profit motive, but but regardless, like we can talk about how how to actually go about building building the business and and what the steps are. Because I agree, like like the first step that I would do is go talk to as many homeless people as I possibly can and try to figure out like. How do they end up where they are? And that's that's another huge benefit is like really learning about what happened, what are these backgrounds, so that we can we can trace the problem even further back and start to address some of those those uh, failings, right? But yeah, and and identify people that we can help, and then put together a curriculum for them. That would basically be where I would start, and then what figure what would that actually cost? How I many? Like I would do a pilot program with the first like five or ten, right? And just find whatever funding we could find for that. So, I mean, when you start a business, you don't know anything, right? You have to figure it all out. You have some ideas, but half, well, 90% of them are going to turn out to be wrong. I think I would start by calling the founder of Samaritan. They've got a number on the website. It doesn't strike me as them having a big team. He's been grappling with this problem for years. And Mm -hmm. the impression that I had, at least, was that he was pretty forthcoming with uh, with mm-hmm. information and, and would want other people working on this. There can't be enough people. It's unlikely that there would be too many people competing in this space that you are, yeah. are going to drown in competition. So if you can get some insights from him and, and jumpstart this, that would work. And the, you mentioned before, like the, the existing homeless shelters that are getting government funding, right? It seems like that would be relevant to talk to some of them as well. 
yeah, find out what their situations are. You know, mm -hmm. I have a couple of homeless stories that come to mind where I might have had a personal experience. One was a student that was a TA for me when I was teaching statistics at, at the university at Hunter College. And um, what's interesting about his situation, a perfect candidate for rehabilitation. And uh, I did not was completely unaware he was homeless. He had a home at the point that I knew him, but he was still facing difficult situations. He wasn't turning in some projects that I needed. I was like, hey, what's going on? He's like, my mom's sick. I was like, do you have family that's going to help you? He's like, no, I don't have family that's going to help you. All of a sudden, I found out he's this, you know, basically like a genius kid who wrote a book already. And, you know, he was homeless at one point. And then I, I have another um, another story of just giving some, helping some people who are looking for some uh, food, something to eat at, in the train station one time. And it was an older woman and her granddaughter. And, you know, I think it, it was, you know, what kind of food do you want? And they picked the un most unhealthy food at in the food court, um, which, you know, I just, you know, I just go ahead and get them the food that they're going to eat. But it's like, there's a lot, I realize there's a lot to break through here. You know, mm -hmm. you eat difficult, you eat food that's not good for you. It's not going to help. Mm -hmm. Her daughter was, di or her granddaughter was diabetic. So, mm -hmm. and she was eating, you know, got a soda, right? And these things are not going to help her development, help her brain. What I think though is interesting is to find families that are homeless and find those families that have a kid that's probably putting in overtime trying to help their family anyways. Mm -hmm. And that's a lever, right? Where you have someone who's not so steeped in, in difficult scenarios and has the malleability in their mind to to get somewhere and maybe help their family out because they have an insider perspective. It might be an interesting place to start. The other thing that came to mind as Calvin, you were bringing up the idea of talking to homeless people. I think that talking to social workers would be very helpful too, because they've had years of ex years of experience talking to homeless. You can uh, get that information distilled from them. So we often talk about in terms of starting a business, when would you give up, right? When would you say, oh, okay, I'm going to throw in the towel on this. Uh, I'm trying to think of metrics for this particular project where you might say, okay, you know, um, it, it felt like a good idea, but I've gone far enough and maybe I just don't have any innovations in this, in this space. Yeah. You know, maybe I would work the, on it for a certain amount of time. Yeah. The way Go I ahead, think Kevin. of it is I've, I've read an essay by Paul Graham years ago, over a decade ago that really inf influenced me, which the title was no startup ever died mid keystroke. Key point being, these are tech startups that he invests in. Point being, as long as you're still coding, as long as you're still typing, as long as you're still working on it, Starbit hasn't died. You may have run out of money. You know, your investors are, have given up on you. Everybody, all your teams of mates have left. Your co-founders have left. But as long as you're still working on it, the startup's not dead, right? And for me, what that means is also, if you're working on something that you believe is a key part of your life purpose, then you're going to keep working on it. And if it's, if you don't feel like your startup, your business is part of your life purpose, what the hell are you doing? So that's sort of my take on it. And so for me, it would be this problem is big enough that if I commit to contributing to solving it, then I'm going to stick with it till I figure it the hell out. What comes to mind for me is this, I don't think that this would be an idea for a beginning entrepreneur. That's uh very simple sounding, but the customer base, so-called customer base is 
is as challenging as you can imagine, right? They're yeah. disconnected all over the place. A lot of reasons that it would be difficult to be able to predict success. And, and it, it's so much reliant on uh, human emotion and psychology and all sorts of things that you can't control that it seems like it might be someone like you who after starting a super successful company and decides to maybe you decide to sell Simplero at some point and you have the experience and the perspective to be able to jump into uh, a calling like this because you wouldn't be going into it for the money at that point. Not going to sell Simplero, but yes. <laughs> yeah. do, you, and do you think that's true do you think that a, a uh, that it takes an established entrepreneur to be able to do this i don't i don't think that it does but i can i can see why you're thinking that like i can i can see the logic i think that it could be relevant for a seasoned entrepreneur but i also think it could be something that that like a young person with passion a, a stronger passion than than profit motive and and who's up for a challenge would throw themselves into right uh, I'm thinking of, of Zach Babcock, who came on our show, who's a ex-convict who, you know, has built an interesting, he's built podcasting business um, and embraced, you know, his past as part of his story um, when he initially thought it was, uh, you know, something that would be difficult for him to get past. And he talked about starting an organization that would help prisoners when they get out of prison doing right. rehabilitation. And I think something similar you can think of here, too, in terms of when are you going to stop? is and how big is it going to be it can be a small thing too it can mm -hmm. be a thing where it's like a very tight-knit group of people who were homeless and have become a community for each other and are really all dedicated to reaching a, a certain level you know and i think that that could be not only more manageable but and you could you could screen and you could filter much more easily, but it might be really you could have this a level of engagement and excitement around it, being able to pay attention to the individual stories of the of the people that are part of it. So that's another way that yeah. you could address that. You know, that's interesting because I was unconsciously falling into the trap of you have to solve the entire problem or don't or don't go after it at all, and you can't solve the entire problem even if you were to try. And, you're not going to eliminate homelessness for I think you said 150 million people worldwide. There's a great book that I was reading recently. It's called Designing Your Work Life. And it's it's written by a couple of folks that teach at Stanford D School, which is the design school. And they've written two books, Designing Your Life, Designing Your Work Life. I forget the exact parameters, but they talk about how you want to decide what impact, how much is impact a factor in what you do? Because it could be that the meaning is more important than the impact. Right. So some people, they want to help millions of people. Some people, they want to help three people, but they really want to feel that they're having a direct impact. Mm -hmm. And so that's something really seriously to think about. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You might want to choose, you know, what you yeah. focus on. I mean, with Simplero, we have a lot of customers who are like have no ambition to create like the next Facebook or like some some big thing, but they want to have a business that they can they can support their family and they can support their their tribe, right? Their 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 customers, their clients and I think this is something that could be bigger, but it could also be like a franchise model, right? So that the the franchisee, their ambition is just to do something good for their neighborhood in a way that actually they can make a living out of and, and you know, everybody profits. There are so many ideas that you could have brought to us. Of course, I'm sure you've probably got hundreds or at least dozens that you could share. And you chose this one to bring out. Why? Because it's one I've thought, 
um, a fair bit about, but not actually, I'm not doing anything about it. So it seemed to fit, to fit the bill. And it's, I mean, it's something that, you know, every time, every time I, I walk past homeless people, it's something that I'm thinking about, right? You, you know, um, that I'm reminded, like, hmm, just noticing, studying, and just thinking like, hey, what would I do, right? Because, you know, whether you give money or you don't give money, it doesn't actually solve anything. So what would, what would solve this? I'm going to tread into dangerous territory here. I would venture that you and I have different political beliefs, which is, you know, they're completely fine, of course. But I am trying to, I, I would love to hear more about how you, just like how that lives in your head. Because to me, I just cannot imagine someone with the the other teams of political beliefs uh, bringing this idea to to our show. Right. What team am I on and what team are you on? <laughs> yeah, I think to make it clear, let's make it clear to the conversation. I think in doing research, he may have seen that you had been a uh, an advocate of the Trump administration, you know, maybe even still, you know, fighting to keep keep Trump in the office versus someone like Chris, who's, you know, on the opposite side of the aisle right. in terms of who they're voting for. And, and I think it's interesting the way you phrase the question, Chris, because you think maybe you have different political beliefs and sometimes maybe not. Like you might vote for different people and have similar political beliefs, which is interesting. I know yeah. um, Calvin's interested in uniting right across across domains between blue and red. But uh, mm. but I think that's where that question comes from. I think it c- comes to the question of like, wait, you 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 might have voted for even though you can't vote in the U.S. You might have voted right. for that guy that I didn't. But you <laughs> have some of this compassionate idea that I really am think is interesting you bring that to the table how does that work is that yeah. a good rephrase chris yeah, yeah. i think that it's, it's me coming in humbly saying like i i want to learn more about right. uh the other side so to speak yeah, right? yeah. The, the trump supporters totally get it so yeah so for my entire adult life you know living in america and, and being oriented towards america i was i always considered myself a democrat there was just you know all my friends were and that was just seemed to be the thing and then it's so like three years ago i started to really st- pay attention and do research and study. And I, you know, read somewhere like a hundred different books on all kinds of political things and, and started, you know, videos and YouTubes and interviews and all that stuff. And what I found was that, that while the goals are actually the same, what I found was the policies of the, the Democrat party and the, and the political left don't work. Right. They actually, they, they actually make the very problems that they intend to solve worse, whether that's by design or just because they don't know how, you know, the world works. I don't know, but that seems to be the, the the case. And so that's why I drifted conservative. And and I actually think if you look at Trump, I don't want to make this about Trump, but if you look at Trump policy wise, he's done a lot of policies that actually have worked and have worked really well. Um, so that's, that's why. And so, yeah, for me, whether I saw myself as a Democrat, I don't see myself as a Republican now, because I think I think all of our politicians are, I don't think any of them are on our side as people. I think they're on their own side. Yeah, for me, it's like the outcome, the goals that I want to solve are the same, right? And that's that was the big realization I had is like, hey, whether you're on the left or the right, our goals are actually the same. We just don't agree on how to get there. So if we can stop focusing on, oh, I want to, I want this and I want Medicare for all, or I want private or whatever. 
and stop having that argument and stop having the argument about like, hey, what do we want? We want people to be healthy, happy, prosperous, safe, thriving economy, healthy planet. All right. What are the things that are going to get us there and then test them? Test them and see what works. Let's test and see what works. If it if it brings people out of homelessness, great. If it keeps stay, keeps people staying stuck in homelessness, not great. One of the biggest problems in in politics, probably worldwide right now, is that the people with uh, rational or moderate or whatever, the people willing to at least work with the other side, are the ones least likely to talk about politics in general. The people right. who are most empowered or feel more most confident in talking about politics are the ones who have the most extreme views and aren't going to listen to anything that you say. So I think that, yeah. you know, with this election that we've just had and, and uh, there's still a lot of rebuilding that needs to happen. And it's going to, the only way that it happens is with people reaching across the aisle figuratively and, and sharing their opinions and, and uh, coming to that point of, of agreement of, Hey, what are we trying to solve here? We're both trying to figure this out. We may disagree on the means, but yeah, let's have a conversation about it. So I uh, wanted to point out to the, uh, to just call out that one of your goals that's in your Twitter headline uh, there as well as you want to be a special advisor to the president of the United States on conscious nation building. And mm-hmm. you're at least a step of the way there because you're followed by Barack Obama on your Twitter feed. I don't <laughs> yes. know if you know that. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. We don't interact much, but you know, <laughs> he gives you a retweet every now and then. Barry and me, right? We go way back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. very cool. That's pretty Calvin, cool. That's yeah, pretty cool. Um, appreciated having you on the show here. Where can people go to learn more about Simplero? Uh, go to Simplero.com. It's, it's simpler. Oh, um, I like to say it's the simpler way to business orgasm because uh, it just makes it so fun to do business. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> awesome. Oh, man, I can't remember the last time I had a business orgasm. <laughs> right. Kind of yeah, business you need to use more Simplero in your, in, your, <laughs> in your business. Great. Well, to the listener out there, to the for you For those of you that we've been ignoring Ethan's this been entire episode, thank you for that, listening. I don't know if that works for me, but I'll try. <laughs> for you listening, let us know what you think about this episode. Email us at update at runwithit.fm. Like, retweet, all that stuff. Leave us a review on iTunes. As uh, Calvin said, only if it's five stars. No, I mean, we'll accept the the lesser feedback if it's, uh, you know, real authentic. We want to hear what you're thinking about it. Um, Via email. By email. (laughs) Would would work. (laughs) Okay. um, Yeah. And until next time, to the listener, we uh, we will catch up with you next Thursday. Thanks for tuning in. The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.